Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Today is the day the Lord has made, and even though the news before us may be challenging, the good news of the gospel remains good news. Uh, We live in a redemptive history. We live in the context of a personal universe because God is who he is, and God is personal. And so, Uh, If you were wondering today whether or not you were alone, the answer is no, you are not alone. Uh, If you feel unseen or sidelined, you know, the reality is that God not only sees you and knows you, God loves you right where you are in the current circumstances of your life, whatever you're facing. You are not alone and you do not have to walk into whatever you're walking into alone. And so let that be an encouragement today. Uh, as you face whatever you are facing. Um, And I recognize that that list is long and sometimes challenging. I also know that at the top of the list for most Americans today, um, our concerns are about our families and our immediate relationships, our jobs, uh, the economy, because the economy is about a uh, a personal financial reality and our ability to do what we feel like we need to do in our lives economically. So although, you know, the economic news that we often get is on a really wide, dramatic scale, the reality is, you know, is there food on the table um, and can I pay whatever the most recent bill is from school, which is something that I thought would be covered in my, you know, taxes. And yet my the, the classroom needs supplies or my kid is required to have something and I didn't have that in my budget. So when we talk about economy, uh, I find those to be actually the real issues, you know, when When we take note of the fact that um, gas is either, you know, up or down 10 cents a gallon, that is, uh, you know, that's that's real. That's real money over time um, for those of us who are filling up our tanks. And so I recognize that those are the actual greatest concerns um, to most of us. And and so when we talk about these things on a national or global level, um, I recognize that, you know, where we live and the people we're dealing with each and every day are oftentimes not obsessed with the news. And so we want to be obsessed with the good news in the midst of all of those conversations. We want to be bringing the power of the gospel to bear. We want to be the people who are um, redemptive, reconciling, peacemakers. Um, that's that's who we need to be in a world that is, uh, frankly, <clears throat> so deeply divided, not only uh, here in this country, but around the world. All right. Uh, next up, Bill English is back. He is actually in studio. He and I are going to continue our conversation about the leadership lessons we learn from the life of David. This week uh, is important because this week is about, you know, how do we live under a government that opposes your faith? How do you live, uh, you know, under the authority of a government that is in opposition to your faith? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
week, I talk with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com, and we talk about the intersection of, well, just all to say, like our personal economies and the businesses we are in and the business of life, the intersection uh, with all of that and who we are as Christians. And Bill and I are interested in Christians living authentically in every sphere of life. And so what does it look like for Christians to operate in the realm of business. Uh, so, Bill, welcome back. Hey, thank you. And by the way, I I just wanted to say thank you for your lead up in this first part. What a what an encouraging message that was. Because in the midst of all this chaos and all of this garbage that we have to put up with politically and otherwise, isn't it good to know that God is absolutely sovereign and is in control of all that is going on and is in control of our lives, and we can rest in His goodness. Because of that, I, I'm just, you know, thank you. That was very encouraging. Well, thanks. And, you know, we're uh, we're always talking to ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that Carmen might need a little encouragement on this front today, right? <clears throat> it is all good and it is all going to work out. Okay, so um, let's talk about David Remind us where we are in his life um, at this point in the story, and then remind us, you know, specifically where we are in terms of the book of 1 Samuel. Okay, in terms of the book of 1 Samuel, I pulled this out of 1 Samuel 24, so if somebody wants to open their Bible and go there, they can read the story about David um, not killing Saul when Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself, Okay. David is permanently on the run right now. Let's let's just remember that he is this the he is Saul's the the king's son-in-law. He has married the king's daughter and he has already been anointed by Samuel to become king and yet he is not king yet and I'm guessing we're 12 to 15 years into this saga of David knowing he's going to become king and trying to work with Saul and can't work with him and now he's permanently on the run and uh, that's where we land here Saul is just becoming for lack of a better term more crazy right and he just starts to do really wacky things and that was why I ended up writing this post out of first Samuel 23 and 24 saying you know Saul Saul is a, is representative of a government that is opposing God and how do we as Christians live in a government that opposes our faith and that was that was the genesis of this post well and the word opposition um is probably a word that has a wide spectrum um in terms of right i mean i can be opposed to you in thought and not actually do anything that is opposed to you. Um, and then there are ways that a government could be opposed to people that is genuinely um, repressive. Uh, and then there's the kind of opposition where, you know, governments do not allow people um, any freedom of religion, you know, where there are blasphemy laws or where people of particular religious uh, groups are are herded up, interred, and uh, you know, and the government attempts to re-educate them. I'm thinking here about the Chinese and the millions of uh, ethnic Uyghurs who, whom they now have in what they call re-education camps. You know, they've removed the children from their parents. They have isolated uh, men from women. They have totally separated families, and they are seeking to re-educate these people out of their faith and into, um, you know, a belief that not only is communism good, but the the, the Chinese way is the way. And so, that that kind of opposition is very different than the kind of opposition that we experience here in the United States. But we do experience what I would describe as a rising 
opposition to the public profession or the public expression of the Christian faith in every area of life. And so in order to be a Christian in your business, there is now some government opposition to that. So when we talk about the rising opposition that we face here in the United States, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I I think when you and I are growing up, you and I are both in our 50s. I think when we were growing up back in the 60s and 70s, most of the opposition that Christians faced was a result of trade-off decisions that the government was making to try to increase fairness in our society. And it just seems to me um, that that was kind of the genesis of where this started. Today, the opposition to our faith from the government is much more active. It's like, no, we really don't want Christianity in the public square. You can have it in your private life if you want to, uh, but there is is an increasing uh, opposition to our faith that is active, both socially and governmentally, against us. It's not just... um, unintended consequences from trade-off decisions. And so uh, that is what we are facing here. We're not as far down the road, as you, as you mentioned, like, like the Chinese are. We're not going into re-education camps yet, but the day may come when in our free society, freedom will be defined as uh, not having to tolerate um, these extreme religious biblical viewpoints, and so we need to re-educate these people. I, I could see all kinds of things happening in this society in the next 50 to 100 years that are not favorable to Christians. So earlier this week, uh, Bill, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News was here, and she ran into Andrew Brunson, who spent a couple of years in Turkish prison because of his Christian faith and his uh, attempts to you know, share that faith with others. Um she shared with us what Andrew shared with her, and that was really kind of his surprise at how much the United States of America had changed while he was in Turkey for 20 years um, in ministry. And he really, you know, I think that because he had the perspective of that space and time, the the difference in America um, now from what he remembers in terms of religious liberty and freedom in the public square, out in public spaces, in public mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, he really describes as, as pretty dramatic. I think we don't necessarily see quite how how dramatic it is because we've been living it. We are the frog in the kettle. Um, but, you know, the Obergefell decision by the Supreme Court in uh, in 2015 in, related to the redefinition of marriage, you know, that is a radical shift. That is a really, really radical shift in terms of the kinds of things that we as Christians can now express in all kinds of environments. People now lose their jobs for holding the view that around the world and all over the course of human history has always been held about the definition of marriage. And if you now persist in holding that view um, and you and you stand up for it. You 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 in all likelihood may may lose your job if you are, um, you know, in the kind of job that can be lost, which most of us are. Yeah, or you could find yourself losing customers if you're a business owner, or losing top talent uh, if you're a business owner. There's there's real loss now in standing up for the um, biblical view of marriage, the biblical view of gender, the biblical view of of that which uh, is really part of the most sacred part of our lives, which is our gender and our bodies and how we use those things. All right, so when we come back, we're going to actually dig around in 1 Samuel 24 for the principles that we can take from the life of King David about what it looks like to live under a government opposed to your faith. Talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We'll be right back.
Continuing my conversation now with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we are looking at the leadership lessons that we can learn from the life of David living under a government that is opposed to your faith. So what uh, what are some of the principles that we learn from David on this point? You know, the biggest thing I think that we learned, the kind of the overarching piece that I took away after I wrote this, was how David treated Saul with respect and dignity and said, I am not going to go against and lay my hand on God's anointed, right? Even though Saul had tried to kill him several times, Saul was hunting him down to kill him. Saul had sent people after him to find him to try to kill him. When David had a chance to kill Saul, he goes, no, I'm not going to do that. He is God's anointed. And I just, honestly, I wonder how different our society would be simply if Christians, I'm not talking about those who aren't Christians. I'm talking about just those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. If we were to treat all of our political leaders with the same kind of respect and dignity that David treated Saul, to me, that is a lesson for Christians that we need to hold on to, no matter how rough or or uh, crass or base the politician is, treating them with respect, I think, is one of the things that we need to do as Christians. All right. It's one, it's one of the takeaways. Yeah. I, I, and there's no, absolutely. Yes. Give, give, us a, give us another one. Let's move from that one to another one. The other thing I find is that uh, usually these evil, I won't say evil. Most, <laughs> right? That's know. hard. It is. That's it's so a, hard. It's hard That's to so say. That's so hard. It's but, hard not to say. But those who are opposing us uh, will, will put themselves in a place of a law that they are the highest law, right? And, mm. that, and, that, and that their word is the final word. And we have to keep remembering that while God has put them in the place that they are in, God's law is still higher than their laws and that there is a law that is above our laws and that that law is the one that we ultimately have allegiance to. We find that law, ironically, in the Bible. The Bible is an expression of everything we need to know from the mind of God in order to live blamelessly before him. And that is the law that we ultimately are to follow. So one of the things that's so curious to me in all of this is that, you know, at some point, at one point, you know, Saul is, Saul's government is not godless, right? Because he's with God. And then Saul's government is utterly godless yeah. um, because Saul is absolutely um, living personally in personal opposition to God. Um, and And Saul's thinking deteriorates to the point where he then not only starts doing things, but institutes laws that are expressly contrary to what we know to be God's will. That devolution of Saul's leadership and the government that belongs to him and the absolute loyalty he demanded of people, not only to himself, but to then these completely godless laws that he demanded be created, like all of that is is kind of scary because we, we see that happening. When you don't view... When, when when you don't understand that there's a law above yourself, then you're naturally going to demand loyalty to yourself and your own laws because you become God. You're, you're the highest that you have in your life, right? There is no God. There is no other thing to which you are tethered. And so your self-preservation at all costs, demanding absolute loyalty to your laws, having unaccountability to the people that you're leading, um, 
really trusting more in your weapons than in God's provision and protection. Those kinds of things are outpouring or outgrowths, natural outcomes of, of, a, of a life lived without God. And that, and, and we as Christians are, are called to live in societies like that. And so how do we do that? And I think, I think the number one thing is we show respect. The number two thing is we show adherence and allegiance to God's laws. And the number three thing is we pray and we evangelize and we get out there and make connections with people and try to lead them to the Lord. Because the only cleansing effect in that kind of a society is a movement of the spirit at the grassroots level to bring about even a small revival. To me, I, I I don't know what else to do other than those three things. Okay, give us the three things again, because um, one of them is 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 a respect for the authority that does exist, um, yeah. but the other is sort of the active advocacy to change the rule under which we live. Yeah, but you don't do it by opposing; you do it by spreading the gospel and letting mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit change the hearts of people. I mean, think about how different Washington D.C. would be um, if. If we had 535 people who were dedicated to God and, and, and to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about Republican or Democrat here because you, we need Christians in both parties, right? I'm talking about people whose allegiance first is to Jesus Christ and then is to the law of this land. Think about how different that would be. Well, it would be dramatically different um, and it would be, yeah. So give us those three things again, because oh, I think that when we talk about like our marching orders for the day, those those really all three really good, really, really good. Yeah. And I wish I could remember them because I came up with them on oh. the spot. I, okay, I, well, I, I the, didn't have the, it written down, but one was respect. One was yeah. evangelism and one was, I, I believe, prayer. Yeah. So we're going to have we're going to have first allegiance to Christ. Yes. We're going to respect the government under which we live, because that's, you know, that's certainly what we're called uh, in Scripture to do. Um, we are going to pray that the Holy Spirit would move in uh, in very personal and dramatic ways to change the hearts and minds of people in order that genuine revival might start where it always does, which is on the personal level. Yes. Amen. Amen. Uh, okay. I have to cough, so say something. You know, this, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm at a loss for words. I'm usually not, but okay, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> That's the magic of radio and the cough button. Okay, Bill English, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be human and for your friendship, your collegiality. Thank you for bringing us yet another leadership lesson from the life of King David. We look forward to talking with you again next week. You bet. Have a good week. You too. All right, friends, that is from 1 Samuel chapter 24. Good place, uh, good place to till the soil of God's word today. Hey, up next, Senator James Lankford. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. All right, next up, Senator James Lankford. Uh, He and I are going to talk about a range of topics, bringing the Christian worldview to bear on the challenges in Washington, D.C. If you don't know this, James Lankford is a brother in Christ. Uh, He lives out his faith in the most public of places. Like all politicians, he lives under constant scrutiny. Today, I'm actually going to start by asking him how we, you and I, his brothers and sisters in Christ, can pray for him. Uh, and this conversation was actually recorded yesterday because of the senator's schedule. And that's before we knew that there was going to be an urgent briefing today of uh, of the committees of which Senator Langford actually serves on. So I would have asked him uh, about that had I known yesterday what we know today. But instead, I asked him about that which we knew yesterday. So there you go. Up next, Senator James Langford. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Having a strong relationship with your teen is critically important. But sometimes we take it to an unhealthy extreme. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Even though parents know the value of discipline, many of us have a hard time actually following through. We're worried about retaliation or breaking our friendship. Proverbs 29.17 says, Discipline your children and they will give you peace. Think of it this way. Over his lifespan, 80% of your son's life will be spent away from home. And he's counting on you to prepare him for the demands of adulthood. Mom, Dad, your son doesn't need another friend. Your son needs a parent. So do the hard thing. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. to be joined this morning by Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Uh, Senator Lankford, welcome back. Thank you very much. Good to be back with you. So can I start with uh, just a question for our listeners? Um, How can we pray for you? How can we pray for your staff? And how can we pray for your colleagues on the Hill? You know what? Thank you for doing that very much. It is a, a biblical mandate to be able to pray for those in authority, but it's also a joy for folks to be able to pray and know that they're participating and what God is doing around our country and around the world. There are a couple of things I would ask very specifically. One of them is uh, pray the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. Uh, that is, God, give us favor. Uh, there are difficult issues. There are things we have to debate to be able to work through. And uh, Nehemiah prayed specifically that God would give him favor with the next person uh, to be able to get accomplished because there are so many issues that are working through right now. Uh, please continue to be able to pray for our families. Uh, as we're separated and as we go through uh, so many different issues. Uh, but then also uh, I pray for a spirit of wisdom. Uh, th- there's a, a real sense uh, in D.C. right now that everyone's yelling at everyone. Uh, everyone is just uh, being caustic and mean at each other. That's not true, uh, but we do need a spirit of wisdom and a sense of peace to be able to have, bring some calm uh, to all of the noise of D.C. and to be able to actually bring, okay, what's the right thing to do? What's the right way to do it? So we'll close our time um, today uh, with uh, with those specific prayers. Um, uh, and so thank you for sharing them. You know that I ask in earnest. Uh, and so thank you so much. We, we've we talked here about uh, refugee resettlement. We actually talked last week um, with representatives both from uh, World Relief as well as an advocate uh, on this topic. So our audience is at least familiar with the proposed 18,000 cap um, and so I'd like to take a step back before we talk uh, specifically about your letter and your proposal. Um, I'd like to take a step step back and just ask you the broader question. What do programs like refugee resettlement say about us as a nation? And what does the proposed yeah. reduction communicate to the world about, you know, about who we are and what we think? Yeah, refugees coming into the United States are very different than asylum seekers or people illegally crossing or people coming in for work visas. These are individuals that are in the worst situations in the world. These are in war-torn countries. Uh, These are in places that are facing religious persecution. Uh, These are very difficult situations, and it's often families that literally flee from their homes uh, at the last second uh, to be able to escape. They end up in a refugee camp somewhere in the world, uh, and they're living with thousands and thousands of people in a refugee camp. 
they apply to be able to go through the process to be uh, declared a refugee and be relocated. That means they're giving up their home country, and they go through extensive background checks. They don't get to pick which country they're going to, but once those individuals are designated to come to the United States, they go through this very extensive background check process to be able to make sure these individuals that are fleeing uh, can come, uh, that are legally able to do that, that don't have a criminal background in any way. And then they go through a refugee settlement process here in the United States. Because, again, these individuals escaped with nothing very often, uh, and they have nothing, uh, have no language skills, they have no background, but they have uh, their own job skills. Many of them were business owners back in their home country. So they come through a refugee resettlement process here in the United States where we spend months helping them transition, become productive citizens. Refugees historically have become some of the most integrated individuals uh, into our community and the fabric of the diversity of our nation uh, because they've, they've left everything and they're just grateful to be able to restart their lives and their families all over again. Uh, so we, we as a nation have opened ourselves up to refugees in the past, typically around 50,000 or more a year that we have received from different parts of the world uh, to be able to come in. And very often those are uh, refugees fleeing from religious persecution, whether it be in Iraq uh, or whether it be individuals that are from Syria that are, are fleeing religious persecution, uh, that they often end up coming to the United States. Uh, our integration there not only sends a signal to the world, that we believe in religious freedom uh, for every individual, uh, but it's also that we continue to take in uh, those that are at some of their most difficult moments and help them become productive citizens in the days ahead. I like that you made the connection there, Senator Lankford, um, to between refugee resettlement here in the United States and our global public witness related to religious freedom uh, and our concern for those who are persecuted religious minorities around the world. I know that you responded uh, to the proposed reduction of the refugee cap uh, with with a letter, but you also led a letter uh, with Senator Chris Coons back in August. Tell us, um, tell us what what you think the better way is here in terms of ref- refugee resettlement. So the, there was a conversation initially that maybe the refugee number would go down to zero uh, because and we've been around thirty thousand, which is lower already than it is typically. Uh, and the concern was they're going to drop to zero because we have so many people illegally crossing our borders coming into the United States right now to try to figure out how we're going to process all of these individuals. But those are two entirely different programs. Uh, for those that are illegally crossing, we, we understand there's a legal way to be able to come into the country. And refugee is one of those legal ways that individuals come into our country and become productive parts of our country. So this is legal immigration in this process. Uh, and so we, we initially said, hey, we don't want it to be zero, but also don't think it should go lower than 30,000 because 30,000 is low even historically for what we've done as a nation. So I had private conversations with the administration and with State Department. Chris Coons and I led a letter in August to be able to talk about it. And then we continue to be able to nudge the administration to say, hey, this, for, for individuals that want to be able to uh, put illegal immigration and asylum seeking and refugees all into one basket, those are very different baskets. Uh, and very different processes. We, we want to continue to be able to be a strong witness to the world uh, and also to be able to go through a process that people can transition into this country uh, if they're coming from war-torn areas uh, to be able to help them restart their lives. I am talking with Senator James Lankford. You can find what we're talking about at lankford.senate.gov. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I am in the middle of a conversation with U.S. Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Uh, he is uh, he serves on a number of uh, of committees. He serves on the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Homeland Security and State, uh, State Foreign Operations and Related Programs. So, um, Senator Lankford, I'd love to uh, pivot here and have a conversation about what else is on your agenda. Uh, I know that immigration is is a concern, a heart concern for you, as well as a concern for us nationally. Do you want to give us a little update on what you propose might be some positive steps forward in terms of uh, our immigration concerns, particularly at the southern border? Yeah, serving with the Homeland Security Committee, this this is a key issue for us. Every country wants to have secure borders, and every country wants to be able to go through a process of individuals crossing it, crossing it legally. Uh, I, I, I with, a, with a smile, say to people, there are lots of folks that come to my house. I just want to know who they are before they come through the door. Uh, and that, that's not an unreasonable thing uh, with a country as well. Uh, I spent some time down at our southern border this summer uh, visiting with the Border Patrol agents, the ICE agents, uh, the Health and Human Services individuals that are helping our children, uh, and just asking a lot of questions and seeing the different facilities. One thing that comes up immediately is uh, with the reduction in support for ICE, uh, people don't realize the humanitarian crisis that's caused at our southern border. Uh, we have thousands and thousands of people a day that are crossing our southern border illegally. Uh, border Patrol will arrest those individuals, will process paperwork, and then we'll hand them off to our ICE folks uh, that they will actually go through the process of actually uh, holding those folks in detention facilities because they're set up for it. Uh, the Border Patrol stations are not set up uh, to be able to hold people. But when ICE funding is cut, uh, that means the Border Patrol stations, which are kind of like police stations, they back up with thousands of people. So part of the crisis we have, as odd as it sounds, is we have funding in the wrong place. ICE is not getting enough funding, uh, so they're not doing really good housing for individuals. Border Patrol has a lot of funding, but they don't have the uh, right amount of housing for them, and they're not trained to be able to do it. So we need to be able to fix that as we go through the process. We've got to resolve the issues like DACA uh, and what that means. Uh, The president put out a proposal two years ago on how to be able to solve DACA and to be able to give an opportunity for those individuals to be able to go through and apply to get citizenship uh, over a 10-year process uh, to be able to be in line uh, but to be able to get some final resolution there, but also want to be able to get additional border security. I thought it was a very reasonable proposal uh, the president put on the table two years ago. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of lockup since then about the nature of fences or what we're going to do in security in other areas. So the hard part about immigration, getting this resolved in Washington, D.C., may seem really odd, uh, but if there's no deadline to do it. Congress works on a deadline. Uh, our budget has deadlines. Different things expire and they have deadlines. Immigration has no deadline. And so because the policy is difficult and because it's emotional, uh, the Congress continues to be able to push it off and say, we'll do that another day, another day, another day. And it continues to get worse and worse and worse for those individuals that are here in limbo uh, and in situations on the border. So my push, along with some other individuals in the Senate, is let's have the hard debate. Let's work through this. Let's make the decisions. Let's do what's right for the security of our country and uh, to be able to get these things resolved in the best possible way. So, Senator Lankford, um, you know, one of the things that occurs to me is that there's a word that um, I think sometimes we consider a dirty word, 
among Christians, and that's the word compromise. But compromise is an essential part of the process of coming to a point of resolution on these hard debates. Can you just articulate for us, you know, what what does compromise look like that doesn't actually compromise the faith? Yeah, so one of the things that I try to clarify to people is, you're right, when people say compromise, they they assume it means compromise your values. I use the word common ground uh, rather than compromise because I I don't believe I'm going to give up my faith. I'm not going to give up uh, my core values. That, that's not what I'm going to do. Uh, but there are areas where we do have common ground. Uh, if you want to do a basic math problem, uh, then I may really like A and B, but don't like C. And somebody else really may like B and C, but they really don't like A. We both like B. And so the common ground between the two is, you know, there there is a part that we both like, uh, and we should be able to work through that and try to get that resolved while we're still arguing about A and C. Uh, and when you go through different bills on immigration, there's wide support for border security. There's wide support for how we handle our work visas. There's wide support uh, for even things like DACA and what that looks like. Uh, but we, we end up arguing about the things that separate us. But immigration, as well as a lot of other issues, we need to find the common ground uh, that we have and the areas that we're still dis- in disagreement on, set those aside. And so we'll continue to be able to discuss those till we can get to common ground. But in the meantime, let's not do nothing. Let's do the things that we know we both agree on and keep moving. Again, I'm talking with Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Um, thank you, sir, for being so generous with your time this morning. Let's um, let's conclude with a conversation about how how you would have those who are listening talk with and about their political rivals, because I think that uh, training training up Christians in how to talk about these things. Um, is is essential and important. It is, actually. And, and quite frankly, it's what Peter was writing to the church 2,000 years ago when he wrote the book of First Peter. Uh, he wrote that uh, chapter that we're all so familiar with in chapter 2 of First Peter, where it talks about live such, such good lives among the people who don't know God that they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. People are very familiar with that passage, but they forget that the very next verse uh, is Peter's first of four illustrations saying, this is a way that you can live a life that will stand out in culture so that you'll have an opportunity to share your faith. The very next verse is honor authority. Now, that's jarring to people when they see it in context there, because I I think what Peter is calling them to is say, hey, live a life that will really stand out in culture. And one of the ways you do that is when you honor authority, when no one else does, uh, then you'll have an opportunity to be able to share your faith and make a difference in culture. Now, that doesn't mean you agree with everything that authority does or that government does. But we can speak about uh, people and issues in a way that's honorable and respectable. I have to keep in perspective when I talk to people, that's a person created in the image of God. They have value. They have worth in the eyes of God. And though we may disagree on an issue, I can still disagree with them in a respectful way. A basic rule of thumb for me is in debate with someone. If I become so personal uh, in my debate, in my argument with someone that I can't at the end of it also share my faith with that person and be received, I've gone too far. I've become personal. You can disagree on issues without having to disagree personally in things. Uh, But this society and our cable news networks and Twitter and Facebook, they kind of draw us into the snarkiest, most caustic way of attacking someone else. That's not a biblical way to be able to deal with issues. Uh, It begins first with honoring that individual, with honoring authority, but standing up for also what is right. Uh, You can be clear. uh, You can be frank without having to be personal and attacking someone. Uh, that gives us the opportunity to not only win the argument long-term, 
uh, but to also win that person over to what it means to really be able to know God and uh, what we have experienced in the forgiveness and grace of God. Amen. Um, my brother James, can we pray for you before you go? Absolutely. Father, uh, I come before you uh, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we we bear up our brother James. Uh, we thank you for his service to our country. We thank you for his family. Uh, we pray for them today for the times that they are separated, and we pray for a sweetness uh, for the times that they have to be together. We do pray with him the prayer of Nehemiah that, Lord, you would uh, give uh, James and his colleagues in the U.S. Senate and on the Hill your favor in the difficult decisions that they are making every, th- every day uh, that impact each, each of us and all of us. Give them a spirit of wisdom as they gather together. Uh, and, Father, give them a perfect discernment in your will forward for us as a people. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. James Lankford, thank you so Amen. much for being with us today. Man, we really uh, we appreciate who you are, what you're doing, and how you're doing it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Have a great day. All right, we will be right back. Okay, so I hope you're joining me today in praying for James Lankford and others on Capitol Hill and engaged in government at every level here in the United States of America and frankly around the world. Like, right, we are um, we are people who possess access to the very throne room of the living God. And that access is won for us by the obedient death on the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, the the barrier that existed um, was torn in two from top to bottom, not just, uh, you know, metaphorically when the curtain was torn in two, but literally God, God opened the way for you and I to enter directly into his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, you and I can go before the Father and we can plead today. We can not only confess our own sins and acknowledge the sins of, of the people of which we are a part, but we can go before God and we can say, give us wisdom, give us discernment, give our leaders an understanding of not only the times in which we live, but the power, the power of, uh, of this experiment of democracy called America. And may we be people not only of justice here, but who export truth and peace and justice around the world. May, may those be the principles and the characters of the king and the kingdom that we make known to others as we show them forth in our own common life and as we show them forth in our conversations with others around the globe. So it's one thing for us to be advocates of religious liberty and freedom in other places. It's, uh, it's, a, whole, it's a whole other thing for you and I to be people who walk those freedoms out in the world today in the spirit of Christ. And so live today um, in the fullness of your faith and in the full freedoms that you enjoy um, and robustly live your Christian life in public today. Um, We have the freedom to do so. Let us therefore exercise it. All right. uh, Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.